Hi, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. My name is Roger Heathers. My regular co-host Declan Kitchener isn't with me today because we're not writing a song in a week and talking about it this this week. Uh, we have a special episode for you. It's an interview with Kevin Basco of Rubber Band Gun. So for those of you who don't know, Kevin Basco is a multi-instrumentalist, record producer, and singer-songwriter from New Jersey in America. And uh, he is uh, the guy behind the project Rubber Band Gun, which is essentially this multi-genre project which puts out loads and loads of albums, like a really, really prolific project. Uh, he's just come off tour supporting Wiseblood uh, as part of the Jackie Cohen band. And uh, he was kind enough to talk to us about his music and his process for a little while. So without any further ado, I'll uh, pass you over to the interview. Enjoy. I guess first of all, um, thank you for doing this. And uh, I was wondering if you could explain for people who haven't heard your music before, um, who you are, what you do. And uh, also if you could explain the, uh, the RBG 25 challenge for people who don't know, that'd be great. Of course. Um, my name's Kevin Basco, and um, my project is called Rubber Band Gun. And I've been uh, making records in my home for about about six years. I've been making albums most of my life um, at home under different monikers, but Rubber Band Gun has been kind of the one I've found a little my own voice to, which um, I've been doing since yeah about six years when I was I started when I was in college in Boston. And um, I've been making kind of uh, a variety of different rock styles and albums and trying to almost make albums like uh, comic books or something in terms of the ver- variety and uh, and, and uh, the- themes of, uh, of fiction. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I've uh, played in a lot of touring bands with a couple of couple of relatively famous bands. And uh, in the meantime, I've been yeah, I've been making uh, making home recorded albums and uh, with with a variety of different people. But mostly, most of the records are mostly me playing all the instruments and recording at home. And um, what, what were the other questions that you had? I I instantly forgot them. <laughs> so. Um, also, if you could explain the RBG 25 challenge for anybody who doesn't know what that is. <clears throat> of course. So, um, speaking of famous bands, um, I played in the, one of my good friends, uh, Jonathan Rado of Foxygen fame and indie rock fame and producing of many albums, including the Wise Blood album. Mm-hmm. Great record producer. Um, he has been kind of a person that has been involved in RBG since the beginning in terms of the, his support. Um, and uh, I've recorded a couple albums with him. Uh, and earlier this year, when he was, he was at my house in New Jersey, and he, he, um, we were talking about, I was just mentioning I wanted to make, uh, we, we were, out, we were looking, actually looking outside at the, pool, at the pool cover, and there was like rain hitting the pool cover, and I was joking how I wanted to make a soundscape album. And um, uh, he then said, well, you should make 25 albums this year. It goes out of nowhere. It was completely out of nowhere. And at first it was kind of a joke, but like within like 30 seconds, we both were kind of like, that would be really cool. 
And because yeah. he, he knows that I have a have a strangely high output with my material. I mean, I don't really like to sit on things for too long. I don't like to, um, like, I know a lot of people, and, you know, everyone has their own way, but some people, like, you know, they'll be working on, they'll have their, you know, laptop and have their album that they're looking at for, like, years, and they're just, like, tweaking it and getting it, like, this perfect thing. That's kind of not really how I've always done things. I kind of like letting things be a little more natural and letting things just kind of happen and you kind of capture something rather than trying to tweak it till it's, you know, something that you think is perfect. Cause it, if you sit with it too long, it starts to lose its, you know, glow. Um, so, you know, he knows that I have a high output and he, he it was kind of become a thing that he, it was a, he knows, he knows my brand rather well. So that was, it was an on brand challenge to have asking to do so many albums. I think last year I did maybe seven um, maybe six or seven releases, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he's twenty-five. Was uh, quite the random number, but um, something about it kind of spoke to me, and it, it felt like a very uh, good way to spend my year. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I've been chunking away at it for a little while now, and I did in in March alone. I did I think four. I did four in March. I went on tour for a little bit with Jackie Cohen, um, and I'm going back on tour with her next month. I mean, uh, in August, and again in November or October. And um, so I am getting a little bit distracted from the challenge, but um, that's good. I'm good. I'm glad I could take a step away from the challenge. When I'm home and I'm working on this stuff, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. But um, you know, it's nice to break it up with some other other stuff because essentially all I do at home is record and right and keep you're cracking about oh sorry um but yeah so that was the challenge to do 25 releases and the only real the real criteria for the releases they don't have to you know the one thing people don't really know but this might inform your your viewers or listeners is that they don't have to necessarily be my records they have to be something that i produce and record so i have a couple friends that have records i can i can record their records and it's technically within the realm of the RBG challenge. So mm-hmm. a- as we get to what I'm calling uh, the back nine, which is the the final few of this, you'll probably see me get a little bit more uh, desperate to fulfill this challenge. Maybe <laughs> making a couple albums with just me like screaming, or like maybe like the sound of me crying. An album. We'll see. Or maybe like raindrops on a pool cover or something. Exactly. exactly. We'll, we'll right. see, you'll see how desperate I get and how far away from true songsmanship I actually become after you know I get after I get like eighteen in the bag. Um, but Rado, uh, yeah, Rado was uh, gave me a, a good a good purpose this year, and I'm happy to uh, try to do it. And I'm pretty confident that I'm going to do it. I've gotten technically, I've gotten. 10 done i have nine or eight or nine released um which you know for the amount of amount i have to go i think radio said i have to do like three a month for the remainder of the year Mm -hmm. um for to 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 beat the challenge and i think i could do it um i'm a little behind right now but i have a couple that are unreleased um and that's the only part of it oh the other part of the criteria is that it needs to have at least three songs Mm-hmm. I have a pretty uh, well-known amongst my my friends feeling and hatred of the concept, and this is a really stupid thing to be 
passionate about, but I'm really not into the concept of like how people categorize EPs versus LPs. And I, I kind of think of them all as, you know, just releases. And I, you know, I don't really like how people put some can, people can wash away the EP thought because they, it's like not, they think, because some people with EPs, the connotation is like they're demos or they're like, you know, they're not really, um, some people have that, not everyone, but I like, you know, having albums that I think are albums and they're only like four or five songs. And to me, they're still, you know, they're still full and they're still just as, you know, I know it's the, the actual terminology with EP and LP is make, maybe still makes sense, but I just feel like there's this bad connotation with EPs that there are these things that uh, are like supposed to be the, the opener to the LP or there are these things that are like the, uh, you know, they're, they're like, you'll hear songs on the EP that aren't like that and on the LP are the finished versions, you know, sh stuff like that. So I, a lot of these releases, some of them have four or five songs. Some of them are really quick. Some of them are going to be maybe longer. I have like 20 songs, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, that's my gist to the R RBG 25 challenge. Um, I am, we're not exactly sure when it technically should end. I think it might, I, it, it, I was challenged in some point in January. We might just go until 2019 is over. Rado was joking about that. We, there's a lot of things he'll tweet about that are like, we're not exactly sure about the rules, but um, I think it'll work itself out. I'm hoping to have that done bef before December. We'll see. That's cool. That's cool. It's such an interesting challenge. Um, and I think, like you said, because of your prolific output, you know, in previous years, like I kind of got into your music when, when it was like 2018. So last year, and I was like, this guy's putting out so much music and it's all different. And like you say, the EPs and the albums stand equally by themselves, you know, regardless of the length of the music. So when I saw the RBG 25 thing, I was like, it makes a lot of sense for this guy to be doing this. Um, and what do you want? Like 10 now, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm about, I'm about, I think I released nine. I'm going to try to put another one out um, next week that I've been working on that's pretty cool. Um, I have a couple other ones that I have. Like, I have a huge voice note with um, pe pe people for the last, like, six months keep pitching me concepts. Um, like, people, like, borderline, like, not on the street, but, like, at, at venues, they'll come to me. It, what's funny is the whole Wise Blood tour, at least one person at every club would come up to me and say, just like, I mean, it's not a, you know, I'm not bragging, but it's just like one person probably in m a lot of major cities would do the same thing. They come up to me, they'd say, the RBG challenge, RBG 25. They'd come and say RBG 25 to me, like without any like real, like, hi, how you doing? Just like, they come up, <laughs> come up to my face, like RBG 25, like they know. And it's pretty right. funny. It's like, it's like this thing that people are kind of, some people are kind of hip to. I mean, I there's like, you know, not a huge, not a huge fan base from for me, but there's enough like spillover in other popular bands like Foxygen and Wise Blood and Lemon Twigs and bands that I'm, you know, a lot of my friends are are very successful in the indie rock world or in you know in the rock world, and it's funny how it kind of spills over in all these dumb little concepts and things that I have, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that's just like it's kind of a it makes it makes it I I just don't like the idea of being one of those bands that like releases 
an album every year. Not even, like, an album every other year or something. It just it seems so... And then touring it. It just seems like such a boring process. It's just like, I, you know, I think I could see the future of my band maybe not being quite as high output if this was to be picked up by um, some some higher-ups. But um, I could see myself doing, like, being kind of like a... Like what Nilsson would do with, like, three albums a year, more professionally mm-hmm. done. Um, kind of like they used to, like, bands used to do it in, like, the older days. Um, cause I feel like that's kind of the, that's kind of the whole thing is like, you got to make them while you're, you know, young and make them while you're, you're, you got the ideas. And it's like, I'll see these things like Bruce Springsteen, like, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite artists, um, like he has this album called Tracks, which is like 30, 40 songs that were kind of, some of them outtakes, some of them unused and says these things. Um, I mean, he made these songs and there's so many songs that are not used that are like B-sides and cut from the albums and they're amazing they're amazing songs and um well I, I i i can romanticize that concept of you know trimming the trimming what you think is the fat off an album i also like the idea of letting the audience decide and i i mean I, in terms of uh there have been things that sometimes i've cut off my records but like a lot of times i'll leave things that maybe i don't think like i'll it'll always be what i think it should be but um i know a lot of people that they'll want to cut a lot of songs off off their final product and I'm always just like I'll see people every day I'll see people like I'll see a band like I saw Mannequin Pussy tweet about how they were thanking some friend of theirs for convincing them to put a song on the rec- on their record that they wanted to take off um, and ended up being one of the most popular songs on the record it's like you know the artist like sometimes can get a little too especially when you're working on it for so long you can get almost too close to it and you can overthink it mm-hmm. and so I'm a pretty big believer in like putting out it all and putting out everything that you want because you don't really always know what's going to click. And it's like, there's no point of, you know, trimming the fat. It can, you know, to me, it's like if, if the song really, really doesn't fit, you'd know. But, um, I feel like most of the time, if you wrote it in that time period in your life and, and you, you went as far as to record it and it doesn't sound bad, there's no reason to like deny your audience that art, you know? Totally. Like worst case, you know, worst case, you don't play it live, you know. But like, or, or you just tell people, oh, I don't like that song. But it's like, I feel like it's 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 kind of a crime to to keep things that are that have the potential to be good. I mean, and as I say that, you know, I think "Born to Run" by Bruce Springsteen, like a seven seven or eight track. I can't remember how many tracks. I think it's seven track album. You know, it's short, but it's like, oh, it's not short. But it's short track list. You know, I don't know if I would have. I mean, I would have loved it if it had more tracks, but I mean, like, I think it stands on its own so amazingly, so it's kind of hard for me to even now thinking about it say say that, but, you know, because he cut a lot off of that. I think he had, like, 20 songs, and he cut, like, a huge amount to make it seven tight songs, and I get that, but um, for me, I just, like, and I'll probably get to the point where I'll do that, too. Maybe I'll make shorter, you know, decisions, but right now in my life, I just love the idea of giving the audience my listeners, like, my full, you know, my full ideas and not really, uh, not really being too picky about what I want. Because I'm not really picky when it comes to a lot of my, uh, my mixes and, or my mixes, my, my, uh, my, my tracks and stuff. I think I, I like to think of it and it sounds really, really dumb. I've said this before and it's a really dumb analogy, but I like thinking of albums kind of like, like Polaroids or something where it's like a snapshot something you can't really 
tweak forever. You kind of let it be this thing that you captured. And, you know, I like to keep a lot of first takes and I like to, um, it's like first thought, best thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a really important part of my music is how it's been very um, off, well, off the cuff, not always imp- imp- improv, improvisatory, no, improvit. <laughs> I never knew that word either. I never, I don't know what it is. Uh, improvisational? Improvisational, thank you, spontaneous. It's always been a little bit, um, yeah, off the cuff in terms of the, you know, I'll, I'll let it kind of flow and it's usually like I don't tweak things. I don't really, I don't, you know, I'm not sequencing on the computer. I'm not really uh, doing anything that's that's too rigid. Um, um, and I, I'll, I'll use I'll use like drum machines and stuff and that's about as, as dialed in as I'll get. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, the medium of which I work in too is probably the most important, like, almost instrument that I that I have in my in the RBG arsenal so to speak I like the fact that I can't tweak it to all end and I can't I can't keep you know uh reworking it like when I when I make a lot of people don't know this but when I pretty much every RBG record has been to tape with the exception of the RBG six demos which is like three or four volumes of demos that I did on my computer um, and among that, I think, is like 35, 40 songs that are all just kind of ideas, some of which have been re-recorded. Um, but every other release I've done has been on tape, either cassette or reel-to-reel. Um, so every time you hear an RBG recording, with the exception of those three, those three volumes, has always been essentially, for, the, for you gearheads out there, essentially is a stereo mix off of tape so it's when it goes into logic i'm not getting track by track and i'm not automating i'm i'm live mixing off Mm. of the tape so it's like what you're hearing is 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 like a performance of a performance it's like it's like me capturing on the computer in a stereo file which is what you hear you know an unmastered stereo file Left and right, it's all it is. Um, right. And so it's it's essentially that. Like I'm not EQing on the computer. I'm not um, doing anything other than mastering it through this program that essentially just boosts the, the normalization level. It boosts the overall output to like a more standard level. Not much compression is done in the mastering for this with this app. And so it's really just like you hearing what I did on the tape. That's great. So it's. It's kind of a not of a, I don't know if it's a rare. I mean, a lot of people I know that use tape nowadays they'll have um, analog to digital converters so that they have you know 16 tracks off the tape, 16 tracks into the computer. Um, which I've done a couple records like that. The ones I've done with Rado, he'll send me the stems from the tape, which is which is which is fun. So I can do I can do a little more mixing, but everything else I've ever done, um, especially when you can really hear it, like. Um, an album like Making a Fool of Myself or an album like uh, Killed, like albums like that that are inherently a little more saturated with the tape. I mean, mm-hmm. you can really hear it the way that, the way that I'm, how hard I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it after coming off the tape into the computer um, to the point where it's like the files on my computer look like sausages. Like, you know, so that tape is right. supposed to have like grooves. Some of those albums that I've done, those two in particular, and this other one called... Um, was it called boomerang drag um the the the, the files in the computer just look like like just saw, just like squares there's no grooves i'm just hitting it really hard off the tape into the computer um 
And sometimes I'll do it, like, like I did that album, um, one of the albums I had is called um, Stat. It's like a musical, yeah. al- a musical album that I did off uh, with a tape machine. It doesn't really sound very tapey. It sounds pretty clean. Um, not that tape needs to sound like that, but it needs to sound dirty. But um, that one, we really tried to pull it back and, and give it some some life. and, and Or not some life, some a little more uh, gentle notes off the tape and left a lot of headroom for mastering. And, you know, it, it sounds uh, pretty clean. Um, almost, some would say almost too clean. Probably my cleanest record. A little too, it's a little fancy. But um, but it's always been on tape, and it's always been completely stereo mixed off of it, which a lot of people don't know that. And I, people will like I, I posted about getting my head my t- these tapes fixed, and um, because they I, I did this thing with it with my reels where the they were shedding because I buy old used tapes sometimes and. Often when I buy the Ampex tape, it, it has this sticky shed syndrome where it's like it comes off on the heads because um, it's essentially moisture gets caught in the tape after being, you know, sit in a basement for like 20 years. Right. And it's more often than you think that the that, that used tape has that. Um, and I read online that, and I actually started messaging with this guy who works at United Recording in LA. Um, this guy's name is uh, Dan Audio Archiving, is his name. And um, he uh, gave me some advice about food dehydrator, like beef jerky thing that I've been using to, to essentially you bake the tapes. People would also put the tapes in the oven. A little bit ske- sketchier of a process for t- t- to me personally, but the dehydrator keeps it a low a low temp and circulates it well, and it's um, it seems like a little bit strange, strangely a safer process. So I've been doing that, and the tapes got fixed, and um, I've been... Uh, I've been using that for a little while, and that's really been a fun, a fun thing. I don't remember what I was saying about the tapes that I got on the beef jerky thing. I always do this. Oh, you were saying that not a lot of people know about um, that you bounce oh, the yes. stereo out, or yeah, people. Yeah, people were messaging me like, "Do you, you use tape?" Is like, "Do you use analog gear?" Or like, like ask me these questions. And I mean, I don't like, I don't like to. It's probably one of the only times I've uncovered some of my little my process through through a podcast or something but um yeah it's all and I, I don't like to you know i don't like to I, I'll, I'll put it like on the band camp like i'll say like you know worked all on a Tascam uh msr 16 or something like i'll say stuff like that but all the like yeah like all the albums have been have been with tape and i think it's kind of like something that when i was at school i was trying to learn how to use pro tools and I was working a little bit in Logic, and I used Ableton for a while, and it was just I got really, really uninspired using these programs, and uh, I just honestly couldn't get them to do what I want. And um, after buying like a cassette, uh, well, actually, the first demo I did was on this thing. There's this little quarter-inch Sony two-track tape machine. And hmm. I, did, I did my first Oshkabosh Take Two demo, which is the first song I ever wrote. First song I sent to Rado, that kind of um, honestly, and that was in some ways borderline my audition to get in. A, when I played in Foxygen, that was my like audition in some ways, or that was my uh, uh, entrance exam, if you will. That was my. Uh, that's what. That's all I really sent him before he asked me to join the band for that Star Power tour. Um, and it was pretty fun to. Uh, 
grow from there. I bought a 488 Tascam 40. I love Tascam stuff. It's always kind of been my my workhorse gear. It's just kind of like pretty reliable, and it's just um, always just sounds sounds really cool too. Sounds really good. Um, but that was a big thing was doing all that early stuff when I and, and then years later I bought this big MSR 16, my 16 track half inch machine, which is like my now it's my go to. I'll do I did I did most records in the last two three years on it. First record I did on it was making a fool of myself. Um, and then from there on out, a lot, most of them were on this, with the exception, I think, of Killed and Rubber's Reality Show, which were both on my, my old 488 cassette mm-hmm. machine. But I love this thing. It's really, it's a really good machine. I got it for like 500 bucks from this divorced guy in Jersey. And this guy <laughs> was great. Guy going through a rough divorce, and he gave it to me for like really cheap with all the cables and stuff. And it was a... I've had some really interesting Craigslist experiences. Craigslist in jerseys, it's a fucking weird thing. I bet. There's some weird people. Hey, so um, because you were talking about the immediacy of, of your work and the fact that, and I really get this from listening to your music, the sense that you'll have an idea, you'll go to the tape machine, you'll record it, and even like the mastering process, like you said, you just go stereo out into the computer and put it through basically a limiter or like mm-hmm. a normalizer. Yeah. Um. I, from listening to your music, I kind of like get this idea of like a spectrum of like the stuff you do. So, on some stuff like the the most recent uh, RBG you put out, uh, which is literally just you improvising with a guitar, like for like four hours, and then you took it and I guess cut the songs out. Uh, and then the contrast of that, you know, on the other end of the scale, you got stuff like Stat and Girl Cop, which feels so written and arranged and produced and not not like overproduced but in a sense it's got like a bunch of tracks and like it's a really considered even like the narrative like in a lyrical level is very considered um with the rbg stuff you're doing at the moment um are you at a place where you're thinking okay i just want to do the immediacy stuff or are there any projects in this 25 challenge you're doing where you're like okay i've got some like conceptual ideas so to speak um yeah, well, there's something I've always done. Um, essentially, it's the RBG. Uh, well, not the RBG. The uh, what I'm, I've been I've called the super chapters, which was the first thing I originally did. Um, with I, I did a couple albums. First album I did was called Horror Sounds in Stereo, which was my first big album. It was a double album, um, and it was um, roughly 21, 22 songs on the 488, and that was the first concept album I made, and that was a big thing, because that was kind of what I wanted to do with RBG, was make these stories. I really was, for a couple of years before that, I was also trying to do, like, screenwriting, and I was trying to do, I was really into movies, and, and, and just, like, fiction. I got really into Joseph Campbell, who's a mythologist. Mm-hmm. Really, really big. I read um, Hero of a Thousand Faces, and I got really into the whole hero's journey thing, and I wanted to make records that were kind of, like, the movies that I loved in terms of the narrative, but it's, I also got really into the kinks and the idea that they made, um, like Arthur and that was essentially for a movie that never got made. And it's like those kind of things that come with an album are like priceless to me. And they're so much better than what, um, you know, a standard album of like what sounds like a collection of singles is like, it needs to feel, I think the big thing that I always felt from the get go, um, was that it needs to feel coherent. The whole album needs to feel, like it's in its own world, and then I realized that if you if I have a, can make a bunch of them, I can jump around from from one to one, um, 
and from different styles and different different types and the idea of it being contrast is cool like never really doing the same and honestly fox gym was a big influence with that i mean the way that when i when i first started doing it um i remember thinking about how sam and rado um would pitch their future albums in ways that i've always, i always want to but would always kind of get shot down by I went to music school people in the music school world they're a little bit um can be there it was great but they could be a little bit um traditional about some things believe it or not which is you think should be the opposite I mean there's a there's a hand there's a, a ton of people there that were pushing the envelope but you know not always you know especially professors and people didn't really didn't really want um I don't know they wanted you to be this thing this one thing um, they wanted you to be this brand or this thing, and when in, in reality you can be, you know, anything. It sounds so lame. You can be any anything you want to be. Um, but um, I remember that was a big thing with wanting to make these concept albums, and so I, I would, I would. Girl Cop was one that I spent a long time on. Girl Cop was actually I went through a little bit of a rough period post Girl Cop because I made Girl Cop with Rado in his garage. I think I made it right after Whit he made the Whitney record which is, you know, immensely popular now. Mm-hmm. And I remember really thinking in my naive head that uh, a, a meatloaf-sounding musical about the police would do commercially as well as Whitney's chill, you know, songwriting and, and you know, how naive I was. And that was quite the, the hard reality, slap of reality to find that, that oh, no label wants a, a, a police-themed musical in the year 2015, Go figure, you know. Go figure. America doesn't want police content in 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 such a uh, trying time. Yeah, <laughs> such an idiot to think they would. But I never thought about that before. Yeah, um, I mean, with, with the climate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I, I joked that that was the main reason. It was. I mean, the 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 songs themselves. There are some catchy ones on there, but I mean, they're pretty pretty out there. And there's, uh, I mean, the Lemon Twigs did a lot. Not a lot. Um, Brian mixed it with me. And he sang some stuff, and and Michael Dario sang some stuff, and their dad Ronnie sang some stuff, and that was I really had a fun time making it. But then shopping and uh, or what shopping around or what little shopping around we did with it was pretty um, pretty pr- a pretty big reality slap that I wasn't going to uh, that 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 what I spent essentially two years of my life trying to make something make make a make a a passion project something that was really not done. I really wanted to go into a new area and. You know, I don't think listening to it again now, I I could definitely do a lot of things better on my end. But it was, you know, it's in the same way that it's it's a snapshot. It's a a picture of you know me when I was twenty three or whatever, twenty two, um, and what I wanted in my love of Bruce Springsteen and this kind of like weird homage to storytelling. And I still think it's a really important album for me, and I, I that seems to be one that people seem to mention a lot too. It's it's a it's a strange one, and it might fade a little bit in, into obscurity in in under the weight of how many other albums I'm making, but I think it'll always be kind of an important one um, because if I really put that was probably the one I I wrote the longest. Um, after that one, I kind of dedicated myself to being like I'm never gonna put all of my eggs into one album basket like this again. Um, with the exception of the one I'm doing now, um, we did I did one with Rado and Lemon Twigs that's being uh, mixing now, and it is being um, this one is actually uh, I could talk about it. I don't really care, um, or I don't know if I could talk about it. It's it's being shopped around right now to labels, and I'm hoping this time it gets picked up. It's a rather good one. It's accessible. Um, it's 
it's a jokingly poppy poppy album. It's got some very poppy things on it, but still very much my my st- sound and my brand and and the and the radio production style and the Lemon Twigs are performing on it more than more than they did last time. Um, it's and it's uh, it's really good. It's got a good um, a good sound. <laughs> I'm just talking about my room, um, but. Uh, yeah, Stat was one I did, Stat I did in about less than a month, actually. Stat was kind of, I wanted to like, make a little pocket musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a lot of um, a lot of Funny Girl, a lot of Barbra Streisand, and um, that was something I just wanted to kind of, I had, a, I had the house to myself, I live with my folks, and I had the house to myself for about um, two weeks. And in like one week I wrote it, or like I think it was a, like a week before that. I did it in like three weeks. I think I wrote it in a in a in a week and a half, two weeks, and then I recorded it in one week. Mm-hmm. And I got friend I got friends from all over to come down and do little cameos and little characters and stuff. And but that was another quick one. And Girl Cop was one that took me the better part of I'd say it probably took about a, almost a year to make. Um, but it uh, it. Um, then took a year of me kind of like well I moved on from it kind of quick not quickly but I started making other records rather quickly and didn't put it out it sat on the shelf because I wanted it to be sold I wanted it to be bought by a label but um instead it kind of got shelved and I started making other things because I didn't want to just put it on Bandcamp until one day I was talking with Rado this was after I went through a pretty uh, nasty breakup after a relationship of a pretty good I think like five, six years, um, and following that, Rado was like, yeah, you should just put it on Bandcamp, like everything else, like, that's your, that's your thing, Yeah. and I did, and I, and I got some pretty nice, pretty nice love from people, and um, it kind of brought me around to uh, a little more happy, I mean, it was kind of, it was cathartic to let it go, let it into the world, because I was so convinced for so long that it would be released um, you know, on, you know, properly, the, the proper way. And, but in hindsight, you know, I think it had its place on Bandcamp the whole time. I think it was a little more, that was what it needed in terms of its home. And this new one I'm making, I think, is a little bigger than all of those records. And it's, it's, a, it's got a, it's thematically accessible, thematically uh, funny in, in a way that, you know, I think if a label would buy it, they would understand the, the joke. Um, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be good. It just, you know, all these records are different, are meant to be different. And the one you mentioned, the, uh, an emotional man in his late twenties, um, that one was, you know, literally, I think it might've even been like two hours. Like I, I, and I was joking with Jackie about this, how I, you know, I'm kind of still amazed and it sounds cocky, but that, that, that even happened because it was kind of a flash in the pan. It was like, or I don't know if that's a good expression. It was a. It was uh, it was really quick. Like I would sit down, and I would just kind of write down these words, and then I would just, and I and I and it it was it was written down in a way that was very off off the cuff. I keep saying off the cuff. It it was very spontaneous. So like I would write it down just so I can look at it, but I I wouldn't like. Sometimes when I'm writing lyrics, I'll have to kind of go, and it takes me a little bit mm-hmm. for the most part. Not like long time, but it'll take me, you know, an hour or so per song, maybe a couple hours to write lyrics. These ones were probably the quickest I've ever written. It might have been 15 minutes per song of just writing them down and then just like m- making up 
the melody and, and, and the, the chords on the spot. And that's how I'll do a lot of my songs that are, a lot of times my songs are kind of always half-baked, like they're, they're, I have the general idea, but the bridge isn't there, and I'll let the bridge happen in the moment, and then I'll just end what, up... like while you're recording? Yeah, yeah. That's so, great. That's so cool. like whether it's, a lot of songs also, like I've had a lot of weird, and my friend Rias, who's done a lot of engineering work for me, when he'll run the tape machine while I'm downstairs on the drums or something, like he knows a lot of songs I'll do, um, you know, I'll really just get going on the spot. Like I'll, I'll, I'll often than not, I'll do this, this thing where I'll just play the drums and I'll hear like a melody in my head and I'll kind of sing it in my head and just play the drums to it. Um, and this is when the idea isn't like worked out on a guitar or worked out on a piano. This is, there's no song written. This is like on the spot, first thought, best thought, capturing a drum take. And then this, the rest of the song just gets written to the drums. And I have a lot of things like that that are like, yeah, they're not like thought out. They're very half-baked, very in-the-moment thoughts. And I kind of just constantly keep rolling with it. And when you have that thing and you put it, you put the faith in your ability to build a song on the spot and know how to not, when you're layering, how to not layer things that are too dominant. You layer things that are like textures. You layer things that are easily workable with a melody or easily workable with, with another instrument. Um, you can really develop a cool, a cool sound by just kind of going with your first thought and intuition of how what what the what the vibe you want. But the uh, yeah the emotional man stuff was like even for me. I mean, not to sound even for me, I was strangely impressed with how thoughtful and like relevant to my life and coherent those songs were. Mm-hmm. Um. Cause it really, I think I did it like three hours, and then and then mix and mastered. I didn't want to mix it. I I literally ran to this tape machine in mono. It's a mono recording. It's just it's literally this mic I'm talking into the podcast. It's this mic, me and a guitar, run into this into this mono tape machine, and then just run back into the computer, um, and um, and I mastered it. And yeah, it took about three hours, but it's like it, it really, it was like a that was like almost more so than ever like a snapshot. That was like a literal. Uh, like police, you know, mugging photo of my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 sorry, go on. No, I was, I was, I was named done. It's funny with FaceTime. There's a slight delay. Um, but I was just gonna say, uh, with the idea of improvising your lyrics and like doing stuff so quickly, um, I don't know about you, but I often find that if it is so immediate, even if you don't like, uh, think about it properly, if you listen back, even like after a week of it being out or or whatever you kind of go, oh, wow, that's actually like really reflective of a certain situation I was going through a week ago or, or that sort of thing. Do you find that you have those sort of synchronicities with your lyrics if you record quickly? Um, where I have, wait, can you explain, explain it one more time? Like, do you find that, um, it's a hard question to word, I suppose. Um, do you find that when you write quickly, especially lyrics, mm-hmm. um, that you can look back after some time has passed and it describes where you were before, even if you didn't intend oh, it to. Oh, yeah, 100%. Does that make sense? 100%, yeah. Um, and that, that's, you know, it does, ta- it's, it does take a little bit. Um, like, I did this album, Neapolitan Mastiff, um, and I, to be honest, I was writing very consciously about a dog, <laughs> and right. about, th- this was my first big hero's journey one where this was like I had a character 
I wrote out. I mean, if you go to the, the also, if, if for those of you looking for Easter eggs, if you go to the Neapolitan Mastiff Bandcamp, and you go scroll down, there's a section called um, uh, I think it's called the narrative, and essentially it's like a book I wrote. And Bandcamp is so much text that Bandcamp had to put the show less thing or show more. Right. So if you if you hit that, it's literally like. Uh, it's like a thousand words. It's a lot of. I don't know how many words is a lot, but it's a lot of words. It's it's like thirty paragraphs. Like there's a. It's a story that I wrote for about a year, with explaining the whole in order, the narrative. Essentially, it's like giving you the shot for shot of what you're hearing with the songs. Not. It doesn't have it in in like it doesn't say the song and then what's happening, but it just it's it's like you can kind of piece it together based on the characters you see and the and the trap names of the t- of the songs, but um. You know, when I was writing that, it was very consciously about this character. But then I realized later on, it was really a lot about my life and relationship at that time um, with my girlfriend at the time. And it, a lot of it, like, very much directly related to it. But in the moment, I was very much, like, only thinking about this concept. And I think it's like, you could try all you'd, you want, but sometimes when you're writing... It's like it's like people say it's not, but it's oh it's mostly like you you could put yourself behind a character, but you know, and I've done that a lot, making a fool of myself, another character, um, uh, horror sounds in stereo, another character, girl cop, another character, like all these people that I'm writing through. In the moment, I really am trying to like think about this thing, this character, this 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 motive, this like I'm trying to like get into it. But mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, try as I'm, I might. It's 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 usually ends up being relatively autobiographical, and I think that's a really interesting part about lyrics. And I, I've become a little better at. Um, well, I haven't written a true. I think s- killed or stat may have been the last like conceptual one I wrote. Killed was a little more of a. Killed was like my murder mystery one. Um, which was like, uh, it was conceptual, but there weren't really, the characters weren't really as, as fleshed out. It was a little more of this kind of like hazy, um, just death thing. It was just kind of like a, like a, you know, all over the place. But Stat had characters and I was writing from their point of view. And another one, it's, you know, I think some of it did, transfer over in hindsight and it's funny how it does take a little bit you, you just said that and it's, it's very true that in the moment you don't really realize it because you're so worried about the song and you're not worried but you're so focused on the song and getting it getting all the mixes right that you're not really that dialed in the lyrics you can't like take a step back from it but after it comes out and after it's been in the world for a little bit and you re-listen like you know on your phone or in your car or something you're like wow that that lyric there's no coincidence that it had a lot to do with the way that I was, you know, it's very clearly a mix of the two, you know. Mm. That's interesting that the fact that it's almost like the Joseph Campbell stuff, which I'm semi-familiar with, but I kind of know the concepts you mean there. Um, The idea that so many stories contain the same narrative or the same sort of story beats, you know, um, the idea that you could write your own story and it's almost inescapable that you're going to put your own 
situations and your own perspective into it even if you're trying to like uh like purposefully remove yourself from from the from yourself and then put yourself into the character um it, it kind of still comes out so that's really interesting yeah it's very true it's really hard to like i said it's hard to it's hard to separate your own story and your own life from your own music when it's something especially so intimate and so personal and i've tried to i haven't you know i haven't tried to do concept albums to try to like avoid talking about myself i just really like i really like stories and i like fiction joseph campbell the myth- mythology and all that kind of stuff i've always been really interested in and the idea of having these like some of my favorite bands um uh well bands like the flaming lips or the kinks or um i'm probably forgetting tons of bands right now i'm drawing a blank but a lot of bands who do make concept records um and things like uh like Procol Harum and like bands that are like epic but the 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 stories are are also really rich has always been a big um a big influence and um i think that's a really a thing that you know people talk about making concept records and you know i mean i think it was like Frank Sinatra who actually made one of the first concept records his record um uh I think I think it's um, only for the lonely. I think that's one of the first considered. There's a record that he did that's considered actually one of the first earliest concept records because it actually he would have like his albums would be thematic in their own way. People think oh it's just like you know the single, but they're actually when you think of the records like he would really build these records that were coherent thematically in ways that people didn't really think about because a lot of the records at that time often had romance or often had love, but instead it'd be like, oh, I'm going to make a record all about being sad from heartbreak. I'm going to make a record all about dancing with your your loved one. I'm going to make a record completely about, you know, meeting a stranger. You know, it's like it's like these, like, very conceptual things that are really, really rich. Um, but, you know, I do think also, like I said, it's like you can't separate yourself from it. And it's like, it's fun to have borderline the double meaning of it or, or the double you know the, the two-sided coin with you know it, it's you can look at it either way you can you can look at it like oh it's about that person but it's also like when bruce springsteen would write about himself or would tell these stories in like jungle land like you can't i mean the, the difference there that that with bruce and he's talked about it is that you know he wrote a lot about driving cars but he couldn't he couldn't drive in his young age so it's like he would write about that kind of imagery even though he didn't have it and and it's like it's amazing that he could he could do that and he could he could think about how the how the future would be or think about how like how the future how how, uh it would like the hypothetical him driving or he would just learn about you know driving terms and stuff like that and he'd write about it it's pretty silly but it's always it always felt like it was part of him even though it's like it's like stat you know i'm not in a hospital but i'm you know it's not the same exactly as what Bruce is doing, but it's, you know, the idea that it's still like, it's still true to yourself, but you're tying in themes and concepts that are, that are a little bit broader than your own, just like love life, you know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I could definitely see that with Girl Cop. I mean, when I first got into your music, it's like I visited your band camp and I've always, I don't know why, I don't know how to explain this, but I've always had this love for artists when you visit their discography and you go, whoa, you know, there's so much stuff. Um, 
you know, like Zapper is a good example of that. Um, but there's a few others. But anyway, I went to your band camp and I was like looking through, looking through. And I found the Girl Cop um, release after I'd listened to a few little bits and pieces of other ones. And I was like, this is so, um, so conceptualized, but also, you know, um, I don't know if if you thought of this yourself. I'm sure you have. But um, the fact that you're describing a female character, almost like first person sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it really works. And it's really like you've considered that. So, you know, like you say, um, from screenwriting and that sort of thing, I feel like that shows in your music. Um, and I was wondering if you have any sort of like conceptual EPs or, or uh, full lengths uh, planned for the rest of the year at all. Um, yeah, I got a couple uh, going. They're on my notes app, which I'm FaceTiming from my phone now. But I, there's a couple that I have going that are going to be cool. I have one about that Sam France from Foxton pitched me. And his his uh, fiance Alessandra pitched 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 to me about um, making one about the Jersey Devil, which would be which could be fun. Um, I've got a couple albums that I don't really have anything right now that's like as conceptual as Girl Cop. I definitely will um, through this year. I've been I've been kind of having all these funny gimmick ideas. Like I'm gonna make a, a, a I wanna make a blues album, and it could be funny. Okay. Um, I want to make a jazz album, and it's gonna be called Blues, and it's gonna be called Jazz, <laughs> and I'm gonna make an album after that called Back to Blues, another blues album. I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna do a, tri- a, tr- a trio of blues and jazz. Um, I think that'll be really funny. Um, I want to do. Uh, there's a bunch of things on it. This new album I have that I'm really excited for. It's it's kind of conceptually. A, a, kind of a concept album. It, no, it's definitely a concept album, but it's not quite as character driven. It's a little more narrative. Um, not narrative. It's a little more um, accessible in the way that it's not like the thing about the Girl Cop album and and Neapol the Mastiff is they're so narrative. Like I'm kind of like telling you what's happening in the song, mm. and I'm like uh, it is often from the first person, and I'm like explaining these things I'm going through, or the characters going through, and you know this other record is a little more. Um, modern in, in in a sense of it's it's kind of um it's got meanings that have double sides but it's not like quite as um i'm walking into the you know it's not quite as exp- explain like that some of them do some of them are kind of like that but it's not quite as like that as girl cop but i do want to get back to that um this year maybe towards the end of the year as as as, as the challenge is winding down i'll do more 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 uh story driven things um for the time being i'm kind of just um it's like i'm taking even more quick snapshots like they're even more of like this is just a spark you know mm-hmm. and the concept stuff does take a little bit to really work out because when i do it I, I like to do it you know the right way i got my like my notebook and i'll get the circle going and i'll figure out the steps that i want this person to go on the you know the hero's journey and i'll see how they want you know what 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 their real whole you know what what this story is what their struggle is what's their you know road to redemption what's their you know, meeting with the goddess, all the the pieces that make up a really good journey. Um, and I want to get, I do want to do another Heroes Journey one this year. I'm going to try to do one maybe in, in the fall. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's really a, a really fun way to write. Um, and I, I, I could see if I was influencing anyone in one way, I think that would be something I could see future songwriters maybe doing a little more of... Um, a little more storytelling in ways that aren't quite as uh, common, 
Mm-hmm. I could see that. I could see that if I had one impact. I don't know if I even have, but if I have one, I could see that being something maybe influencing some people to to try to like share their own story through the eyes of some fictional character or some even you know non-fictional character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, I uh, I've been following the the Jackie Cohen tour, and uh, I follow her on Instagram as well. And uh, I messaged her um, a little while ago, and I asked if she and you were planning to do a collaborative EP for the RBG25 thing. And she said, perhaps. Is there any news on that at all? Um, there might be. Uh, there might be. We're going to try to work out something. She obviously lives in California. It's a little bit difficult. But I'll be seeing her relatively soon, and we might try to do some stuff. Um, I'm going to help her with some of her new recordings also for her new album. Uh, or just some demos for her new album. But I think I might try to get her. She's on a couple songs of the new album. The one that's Is this the one with Radio and, and the Twigs? She's on them. She sings on a couple of them. She sings um some really nice backup parts on a couple songs. Um but yeah, I think I, I think I might try to get her on a, a, a little collaborative thing when I see her next. Um she's one of my favorite uh singers, songwriters people she's just a really great great person um and i uh i really uh think uh we would make some really cool uh cool songs we have a a kind of similar uh voice and i think that's one reason why it works well when i'm touring with her and why i like doing it so much is i can kind of almost do an impression of her when i sing backup i i kind of noticed that from the clips i saw it really blends well with you guys both of your harmonies yeah people often come up to me and they can't believe that i'm i'm doing the high harmony mm. um because it sounds kind of like her singing the high harmony but um you can clearly hear i mean hear her, her you know melody singing her her singing the melody so it's kind of like a magic trick or something how we can how we make it work with just the two of us but yeah she's got a incredible incredible voice Absolutely. Um, I, th- I feel like that's kind of like a te- the fact that you can blend so well with her and the fact that you can play uh, different characters, so to speak, in your, in your writing. It's kind of a testament to how, um, how you work in general. And what you were saying earlier about um, uh, the, the idea of the EP and the album not being regarded on the same platform. Firstly, I totally agree. And secondly, it, it's interesting how, you know, it's 2019 and you're recording on tape. So, like, that's one kind of dichotomy there, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, like, because music's changed so much, you know, from, like, even, like, the 90s or so, when the album sale and the single sale and everything was um, really prevalent, like, now you have the ability to record at home and just upload to Bandcamp right away. And uh, I guess this isn't so much of a question as just a statement that I think it it makes you quite a unique artist in the sense that you just make what you want to make it's immediate a lot of it's like like you said with the uh the most recent release just recorded in a couple of hours yeah and then you put it up there it just makes for a really interesting listening experience i think that's one of the advantages i have uh over people who are signed is that i can there's no gatekeepers anymore you know i mean i mean and i'm sure artists back in the day if, if you know if you know I don't know. I don't want to name any artist in the olden days when there, <laughs> olden days when there when there was uh, essentially these insane gatekeepers, and you have to like impress the label head 
just to get, you know, in allowed into a studio, you know, to use a microphone that's not just, you know, a home a home microphone. Mm. Um, you know, it's really important to uh it's like I'm I, I like to use what like a lot of people will use technology nowadays to their advantage. Like they'll use Ableton, they'll tweak everything endlessly and, you know, make it perfect. And I think that me using the technology of the fact that we can upload so quickly, we can master so quickly with some programs, we can instantly put it onto a site where everyone can find it. I mean, I could use, I use DistroKid. I can put my stuff on Spotify in three days after I upload it. It or yeah. like, you know, it takes like three days to upload two or three days to upload to Spotify. And I, well, I don't love, I don't, I should never use Spotify. I, I use Apple music, but, um, I uploaded to both, and um, you know, it's it's like using that kind of technology sparingly. Like I'm not using it. I'm not using a technology of multi-tracking digitally. I'm using I'm using the older technology to then use the new technology to upload it. You know, so it's like I'm I'm mm. using like what bits and pieces of modern, you know, tech that I that I can to make it kind of original. And I think that's the best thing about me being unsigned right now is the fact that I can do that and no one, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I could just put up stuff as quickly as I want and it's like, I want to keep giving my fans new stuff. Sure. Do you feel like if you were signed, it, say like in the next six months you were signed, you were picked up and then they were like, okay, we need like a more mainstream approach to how you make and release your albums. Do you feel like because of your prolific nature you'd be like, you try and create like a pseudonym or something like that to like secretly release new music as well? I think it's a little of both. I was actually talking, there are these, these nice guys that have just started helping me, helping manage me, and they're helping me out. Really, really great guys. Um, first, honestly, some of the first people in the business to really get what I'm doing, and I really appreciate that. I, I haven't really looked for a manager because I want someone to come, not to come to me, well, yeah, but I, I want someone to who, you know, gets what I do and is interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they said a similar thing. My my thought, you know, there's a, it's, it's a little of both. Like, I want, I well, I want, I want a label to understand my brand and understand my output. Now, it doesn't mean I want them to put out 20 albums in a year, but, you know, if a label could have me put out three albums commercially a year mm-hmm. and then still allow me to you know make another name and release stuff a little bit more independently i think that's kind of cool too but i would i would settle for like be able to release three albums a year with a label i think that would be a pretty a pretty cool thing i think then i can go go back to a little more of um the girl cop level commitment to it or neapolitan mastiff level commitment that also took a little while it took probably like five or six months where I can put months into something, not like, you know, a year on one record or not, you know, one, like one day on one record. Well, I think that I could still do that stuff. I think that, you know, that stuff is also very uh, tied in with, with this year and the RBG 25 challenge, you know, in terms of a day record, you know, I think I could still do that later in life too. And later on, if I had a label or on another, another suit with another name, but um, it's really, uh, yeah, I really, I think a label that, for me to want to sign with them, they'd have to understand my, like what works about RBG, mm-hmm. which is partly is the high output. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there have been people on, on labels in the past. I, actually, I was going to say Zapper again, but then I suppose he had like his own imprint that was like then distributed through a label, but it's certainly doable. And it's something that, 
you know, whether you took on a pseudonym. I'm not entirely sure how it works, in fact. Like, yeah, when I you're think signed, I could do are you allowed to do pseudonym projects? Or I no? think I could, yeah. And that would be something I would honestly have to... Ex- and that's something the, the manager guys have mentioned to me as well, that if a label wasn't really into the the high output that I wanted, but the label was good and it was a good, you know, a good deal, then, you know, I, prob- I most likely could just make another name and release stuff with that, which, you know, mm-hmm. I think is cool. But at the same time... You know, I if I had a label that was behind me, like, and they would let me do three albums a year, I would, you know, want to put a lot of time into those releases and make sure that they were really good. So I don't know how much, if I didn't have this challenge, I don't know how much, you know, how much songs I'd be willing to throw away to a, to a, to a new name. But I'm, it is nice to know that if I wanted to make something different off the label, I could do that. It's pretty cool. Sure. Hey, well, I, I think that's about all I've got time for. But um, yeah, thank you so, so much, much for doing this, Kevin. It's so yeah. good to talk to you. No problem. You too. You too. It's good chatting. And uh, uh, for our listeners, um, could you uh, tell us where you can find uh, you on the internet and that sort of thing? Yep. You could go to uh, rubberbandgun.bandcamp.com. You could probably go to Google and type in rubber band gun, three words, into Google with, uh, with like music at the end of it and find it. You could also rubber band gun on spotify and on on apple music there's tons and tons of music you can kind of start wherever you want um the hamburger album seems to be very popular right now people like the hamburger album but there's all kinds of stuff i think one of the most important things i'll last say is just you know i really like the idea that i could be an artist that my fans can have controversial opinions about what they like like i like the idea that a fan may not like girl cop but they love Mm -hmm. killed or they might not they might love the hamburger stuff but they hate stat like i like these ideas that fans could have such a difference opinion and they can discuss it with other fans about what they think is the best so i want i want everyone who listened to find what they like best and really dig for it because it's there's something for everyone there's one song that everyone would like you know there's something there's so much music so it's kind of fun to think that fans could dig through it and find what they like i think that's a really fun part of this project Absolutely. No, it's great. I think, um, you know, anybody who is into uh, a multi-genre approach to music, um, a prolific output and and an interesting narrative for each different release um, and a different tone as well, uh, should definitely check out Kevin's music. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll put some links in the, uh, the show notes and the description and everything. But um, yeah, thanks again. Really appreciate you doing this, man. I'll send you this file, MP3. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. Totally, that's great. Can you text me your address or text me your email? Yeah, that's fine. I'll uh, I'll I'll just text you when we're done. That's great. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. All right, sounds good, man. I'll talk to you soon. Nice one. Catch you in a bit. Bye. Bye now. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kevin. Um, I really enjoyed having him on. Uh, you can find his music at rubberbandgun.bandcamp.com. I'll put a link in the uh, the show's description. Next week we have Dr. Danny of Dr. Danny and the Patients uh, on the show for an interview. That was a really fun conversation. Uh, he is uh, spearheading his own solo project, uh, Dr. Danny and the Patients. Uh, he's a former keyboardist with the Lemon Twigs, um, currently touring as keyboardist with Sunflower Bean. And uh, I caught him just before a show in Cardiff, um, and we had a chat on the phone about uh, his own music and songwriting and that sort of thing. So that's a really good interview. That'll be out next Friday. Um, so you'll be hearing that a week from today. Um, so anyway, uh, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, and you want to help us out at all, uh, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to us, uh, via iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you can find uh, me at rogerheathers.com. You can find Declan at, at Declan Kitchener on SoundCloud, and there's a link in the SoundCloud below. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Ta-ra. Bye.